0: it sort of just started as an idea like it it didn't exist so let's start it you could yeah either you can complain about it not existing or you can figure out how to how to maybe make it happen and we did the we took the latter approach i do have a i do have a executive chef he won uh, He's one a Michelin star? Hire the experts, do what you do best, and let other people do the rest. He's taken the same creative approach that we're doing with, with the drinks and the music and the architecture and doing it with the food.
1: Hey, rock stars, welcome back to the podcast. The vibe, the ambiance, the atmosphere are all vitally important to drawing guests in and getting them to come back. You know, ambiance is as important as the food and the service. With me today, Mr. Kevin Simony is the founder of a restaurant called Gare in an up-and-coming neighborhood in Brooklyn. Now, Kevin is a designer and architect by trade turned restaurateur. So yes, this is a startup story. We'll be talking about all the challenges of finding a space opening the doors, the grand opening, the food, the drink, the cocktail pairings, the menu, you know, where the ideas came from, the chef. All these are details in a restaurant, but the design and the elements that draw people in and again, create a buzz in the environment and the marketplace is what this is about. So stay tuned. Thanks to the sponsors of this week's episode, Smithfield Culinary, Verge Funding, the Birthday Club and the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. Now, on with the episode.
0: You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin.
1: Get big flavor with little labor with Smokin' Fast from Smithfield. It's fully cooked or smoked proteins, including American barbecue staples and global flavors. Everything from ribs to pulled chicken to brisket and barbacoa are all authentically slow-cooked to perfection. It's so delicious your guests will never know it wasn't smoked right in your own kitchen. Now you can add barbecue to your menu without adding a pit master to your payroll. Visit smithfieldculinary.com slash smokin' fast. That's spelled S-M-O-K-E-N-F-A-S-T. Listen, you've heard a lot of noise about the ERC tax credit. Why is it such a big deal? Because your business already paid a ton of money in payroll taxes, and more than likely, you qualify to get a ton of money back. Now, if you haven't applied yet, I'm telling you, drop everything. Drop what you're doing and figure out how to get it done. The truth is, and I'm speaking from experience here, it's super easy to get the money back if you let an expert do the work for you. Now get on this before the government either changes the program or runs out of money. I got hundreds of thousands of dollars back from my restaurant, and it literally saved our business. Now, you may have heard it may take many months after applying to get your money back, but that doesn't have to be the case. If you need your ERC refund sooner to run your business or to take care of some much-needed projects, you can speak with Karen Garbutt, the owner of Verge Funding Group, about a bridge loan or other working capital. Now, whether you wait for your check, opt for a bridge loan or other working capital, It's likely you have a significant amount of money due back to you, so don't lose it. Now go to the show notes for this episode on our website and use Karen's calendar link to set up a time to chat with her personally about how much money your business can get back. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. So glad you're with us. Hey Kevin, thanks for joining me on the show. How are you today? Hey Roger, uh, I'm doing pretty good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You have a really interesting story. And my audience knows I usually start off with the backstory of my guest as it relates to hospitality. You have a sort of interesting background in how you got into the hospitality space. It's centered around architecture and design, but that doesn't mean that you never worked in a restaurant before that. So if you did tell us, but otherwise tell us about how you got into the restaurant space and, you know, kind of your career trajectory, you might say with passion for design and aesthetic and all that kind of
0: thing um yeah no just to set the record straight uh i actually never worked in a bar restaurant prior to uh doing this so just um there there's that uh but yeah no you're my my background is architecture um i you know, I went to undergrad and, and graduate school in architecture and worked as an architect for several years uh, independently, and then really got into 3D arts. Um, of all things, I went to Columbia in New York, and that's what first brought me to New York. And at the time, uh, the dean was doing a lot of uh, digital design work and a lot of architectural work was going virtual. And so uh, the dean, Bernard Schumi. Uh, was doing a lot with, you know, where does media and architecture and film and and cinema and all these things kind of converge and come together. And so I got really seduced by that and sort of the immediacy of being able to create these, whatever you wanted to, whatever you can imagine in the computer. Um, It it wasn't tied to building and construction and all the things that like um, are involved in building a real project. And so um, I started a company in New York and Brooklyn here in Dumbo in 2006 called march um and we focused on doing high end luxury kind of uh design and but but a lot of it catered to um the luxury residential world and mm-hmm. um so we were doing a lot in luxury residential and a lot in virtual design and creating speculative visions of the future and helping developers imagine projects that you know have yet to exist and and dabbled in other Industries like uh, commercial graphics and designing digital sets and using our architecture background, but doing it in an experimental sort of virtual way, and then anything that was tied to reality was pretty much exclusively in the in the luxury residential space.
1: You know, it's unbelievable what's happening in in commercial and not commercial in residential luxury um, buildings. You mentioned that you had worked in Miami and Chicago, and I know that's part of your background. And I was mm-hmm. watching a show about now. High end, I'm a sort of a car freak, and high end automobile brands, you know, like Bugatti and Porsche and Bentley and all these. Companies are attaching their name to these buildings, and it's all centered around this automotive culture where, you know, this might be a 50 story building on the beach in Miami, and now you can literally drive your car into a garage elevator that lifts you right up to your unit, your apartment, and then you literally drive the car into the living room, and that's your garage. And it's a showpiece Mm -hmm. thing. It's kind of amazing, but it's all about that lifestyle, it's all about that aesthetic, and you clearly have that in mind, especially with the 3D work that you've done. So how did we're going to talk about the bar
0: Uh, okay yeah you know we're going to get into that You can get into cars too you ultimately are
1: you you a car guy too
0: uh no uh, i know some things about it um some of the people that work with me here at march know a lot about it and they're all into f1 and yeah you you can ask them almost about any car thing and you know we have uh, every one of our lunch conversations goes into some high-end hypercar discussion and then goes uh, outside of my league pretty quick but no it's beautiful i mean the luxury space is all like you're saying is all intertwined and um you know the 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 sort of brand significance and being tied to you know buildings and now architecture and car companies and it's all fashion companies are all converging uh around this it's really just lifestyle you know yeah i think it's who you who you associate with Same with the bar space,
1: you know, the bar space is a lifestyle designing bars and clubs and venues and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's such a movement, you know, depending on anywhere in the country, really. So how did you make the transition and what was the brainchild for gear? Like, how did you jump into the bar space?
0: Um, It started a bit um, casually, to be honest. Um, You know, I'd worked in design and sat behind the computer doing design for a long time, 15 years here in Dumbo. I think that's part of the 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 nexus too is that, you know, where we happen to exist in Brooklyn is I don't know how many people are familiar with this, you know, specific little enclave of Brooklyn, but you know, it's Dumbo down under the Manhattan Bridge, um, right on the East River, you know, between the Brooklyn and Manhattan Bridges in, mm-hmm. in a really beautiful cobblestone warehouse sort of area right on the waterfront. Um, and, it'd be, and it had been it has a rich history in Brooklyn and manufacturing and art scenes and you know club parties in the eighties and a lot of this turned into like warehouses that were sort of abandoned for a time and sort of the late nineties early two thousands it started to pick up and and be redeveloped more seriously um, but there was you know when we opened our office here for March in two thousand six and there really wasn't any bar culture. There was no real, not anything to speak of. There were a couple things that had come and but no real food and beverage scene. So no bar culture, no food culture. And a lot of that had to do with the developer, to be honest, who owns most of the neighborhood and sort of resistant to it in in a way. I think just because of the the complications of putting in F&D into, you know, 120-year-old buildings that weren't equipped or designed around a lot of that and just you know, not wanting to sort of invest there, I think, and just turned a lot of it became, you know, design showrooms and, and sort of focused on easier commercial space to kind of get up and running. But, you know, there's a lot of people that live in the neighborhood now and a lot of people that work in the neighborhood and, you know, it needs it needed something to service that community or those communities and people. And then the tourist is just a whole nother boom that happened over the last 15 years here as well. And so, you know, I, having worked, you know, working two blocks from where Gear is now located, it sort of just started, started as an idea. Like it, it, it didn't exist. So let's start it. You could, yeah, either you can complain about it not existing, yeah. or you can figure out a way, how to, how to maybe make it happen. And we did the, we took the latter approach, um, kind of a bit naively, to be honest, like I'm not, uh, going to claim, uh, I was an expert in any of these things, but I had I I knew the corner. I knew that the site was important. I knew uh, what we were envisioning was important for the community, and I, you know, was confident in you know having my design background that we would create something beautiful and unique for the space, which took some time to develop. But yeah, we just kind of, I just dove in uh, a little bit blindly, um, you know, not knowing how complicated it would be, to be honest, and also. you know, it was pre-pandemic, which uh, caused a whole other series of things that I was not prepared for.
1: Right. Like most of us. Yeah. Blindsided. <laughs> us. So so you've got yeah. a neighborhood that sounds really kind of, yeah, really kind of eclectic. And now you've brought a venue in that is now a draw. You mentioned tourists. So a lot of tourists that end up in, in Dumbo down under the Manhattan Bridge area, that whole thing.
0: Yeah, there are a few. <laughs> um, it's cause... become yeah it's become you know forbes put out an article right around new year's uh that had listed the 10 most uh instagram locations in america based on google searches and Uh our intersection was number one um you know uh you know it's got amazing views and again it's got these kind of old roman kind of feeling streets and Yes. Um, sort of canyons of old warehouse buildings that provide view corridors to these amazing bridges and structures that fly overhead, and you're constantly, you know, walking on cobblestone streets, and mm-hmm. um, you know, seeing these huge bridges kind of fly over you, and the big right. know, bases for the bridges come down and land right in Dumbo, and um, yeah, and and so I think that that's a draw. Obviously, you know. Brooklyn became a lot cooler over the last you know became a draw in and of itself over the last 15 years so the the intersection um the 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 expansion to Brooklyn um from Manhattan obviously a, a huge thing instagram um you know tourist guidebooks like what to do in Brooklyn when you land here you know um that's obviously a big thing uh that, that and you know just social media in general and the the iphone and all these things technology and 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 travel and expansion and and everything just kind of like converge right at this location and kind of you know the 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 bones of what's there isn't much different than it was 15 years ago just the the knowledge that it exists uh and the influence that you know um i guess social media has had uh, for sure on just like things to do and travel and this is just the way people live now they they find stuff and want to seek it out and say that they were there and so it is there is a big tr- there is a big tourist component but um that is limited to day hours different than say areas of manhattan or times square or the big kind of new york tourist attractions yep, of course they're um, open 24/7 24 7 24 hours a day dumbo so what makes this great in a way and unique is that the tourists are there when they're there and then they leave um which is you know fine and and at night when most bars and restaurants function uh it's a lot of it's a lot of people that work upstairs and and and, and around the block and a lot of people mm-hmm. that live within the surrounding block so um it's funny because we just got a google review pretty recently from someone who stumbled upon us and and the and the quote was uh he he or she must have come by at 11 o'clock on a tuesday or whatever because he, he made it seem like he stumbled upon this great bar in a quiet corner of Brooklyn you know and it's just like well <laughs> come in 12 hours and there'll be 500 people on the street in front of totally you totally uh, different yeah totally different so well, that's awesome you know,
1: it's different audiences at different times of day and yeah let me ask you a question i haven't been in the city in in well several years but i remember walking over the brooklyn bridge into brooklyn and obviously that's an right. iconic bridge is that walkable within your location to like when you come into brooklyn off the brooklyn bridge or am i in a different neighborhood completely
0: you're right there so when right you come there across, so
1: the two bridges are side by side manhattan bridge is relatively close
0: to the brooklyn bridge yeah they both they're both uh only three blocks apart i guess gotcha. uh, where they kind of land mm-hmm. uh on the on the brooklyn side and then yeah. they, they sort of splay out and land further apart on the manhattan side but when they kind of drop here um and yeah from the brooklyn side it, when you come across the bridge it'll there's like a stair that drops you down onto washington street and our mm-hmm. address is 41 washington oh, so once sweet. you come down there you just yep. turn left walk two blocks down and, and we're right there
1: right on let's talk yeah. about branding a little bit and how sure. the name came to be tell us about the name first of all you're wearing the hat that literally spells out the name of your barn
0: well um, your it's place hard to see uh that's yeah, a like black. On there black. you go. I there can totally it
1: see it now. There's the G, the A, the I, the R. Okay. So tell uh, us where the name come
0: from. Um, so uh, Gare is named after Robert Gare, who was a Scottish immigrant. And mm-hmm. he had started a, a paper empire in lower Manhattan. And um, sort of, this is like late 1800s and, and sort of, grew and grew and grew and he became famous for uh sort of by accident there was a there's a there's a story of so some worker of his accidentally cut through uh a bunch of good paper or something packaging goods in their shop and Mm -hmm. it sort of a light bulb went off and he said well you know if we actually use this and manipulate in the right way Uh, he developed the pre-cut cardboard box, which is like how uh, packaging came to uh, be much easier to fabricate and make. And so before him, you know, everything was bagged and boxed in a very laborious way. Um, If you went in to get biscuits at the drugstore, you would have to fill your bag and weigh it. And so, and then this just kind of revolutionized the way uh, products were bought and sold and packaged and marketed. And so it became this huge printing and packaging empire down here. So Eight of the, these big warehouse buildings in Dumbo were um, all created by Robert Gare. Once, he, once this, uh, in his entrepreneurial ways, the light bulb went off, he started this huge paper and printing empire. These buildings one by one got built. The one we're in is actually technically Gare One. So it was the first of Robert Gare's buildings down here and has more significance because it was um, the tallest cast concrete building in America when it was first built and it was done by Turner construction when they were only a really small 10 person operation. So there's this, and they became, they ended up becoming the largest construction company in the world for a bit. And so there's this very interesting history of like revolutionizing the way packaging and printing was done and then building in this new, um, in this new technique with this new material and, you know, experimenting with that. And, and, you know, so we have the bones of our building is this really beautiful old concrete Um and then the, the the construction side. So anyway, it was a nod to him. It was obviously, you know, do we just kept it as gear? Um, you know, we wanted to being where we are in the neighborhood we are in the location we are. Um, I thought it was important to tie it into the neighborhood. Um you know, it's not a museum to him, there's no real, there will probably be even we're just getting underway. So I'm sure we'll find ways on our website deeper in to tell a little thing that we haven't done yet. And we've started to name drinks that have some of our cocktails are experimenting with a little nod, not nod to a history of Dumbo or whatever, but but very subtly and not in an overt way. So it's not really meant to, to be anything other than uh, if you if you want to ask why and the bartender wants to tell you an interesting story about the building or the drink name or whatever sure. it's there and available, it just gives it more significance. I think for this community um, and telling yeah. it to its unique histories.
1: So. I've always believed that, you know, I believe every hospitality operation has a unique story and that it's interesting for your regulars, but it's also interesting the people that walk in the door for the very first time. So, you know, you put your story on your menus or internally, even on a chalkboard, however you decide to market internally, the story is unique. It's different. It's, it's historic. It's related to the building, the neighborhood, that whole entrepreneurship thing ties in really well. So yeah, I definitely encourage you to do that when, when, uh, when the time is <laughs> uh, right, but that's, that's yeah, cool. Thanks for sharing. Sure. Yeah. Let's talk about your startup story. You know, a lot of restaurant um, bars and, and, you know, hospitality operations start with an idea and then they kind of evolve over time. You're relatively new. Did you just open like February of this year?
0: We opened for just beer, wine, and cocktails in at December uh, yeah. of okay, 2022. Was December. Oh. Um, and yeah, just this year, a few like, months ago, not that sure. month. Not, not, and so that yep. was just because we were, um, not unlike other stories we, we were struggling at the end to get national grid and our gas and all the sort mm-hmm. of things fired up for the kitchen so the kitchen yeah. was a little bit behind the bar or uh, the health give thing us,
1: too yeah
0: yeah there's uh, you know there's a lot as, <laughs> it's as, a laundry as could, uh, list yeah yep. um but so we were ready to go with our uh beer wine and cocktails program front of house um it did give us a couple months to get our bar you know, sort of tight and right and staffed up. And and we did even a couple of six weeks of training and prep for that um, leading into it. So it was it was a nice phase in. And then once we did open, it was as an introduction to the community, we were able to kind of you know we didn't do any big media blast or anything we just kind of opened peeled back the vinyl that we had wrapped the windows in for many years and and just opened our doors one day and got a lot of people being like what the hell just happened you know and yeah, just took a lot yeah. of walk-ins and you know really built like a nice base of people that live and work in the neighborhood and so it was only drinks for a bit and mm-hmm. and then once we were able to get our kitchen uh equipped and our staff and everything up and running we our official launch with food and the whole program. And the grand opening was February 24th, uh 2023. So two months ago.
1: Did you play a part in designing, you know, the menu items? There's a lot of interesting things on that menu. And I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that. But did you bring in, um, do you have a chef? Do you have a kitchen manager? Like who designed the whole menu and decided what is going to go with this concept with your drinks and all that sort of thing? Is it curated? Tell us the story.
0: Yeah. Um so I do have a, I do have a executive chef on, on board. His name's Gabe McMacken. Uh mm-hmm. He won mm-hmm. uh he's won a Michelin star actually Excellent. with his, with his former restaurant that uh-huh. was called the Finch, which was in, in Brooklyn also prior that was, that had to close down uh, due to the pandemic. It was hard to pivot a Michelin starred restaurant uh, during these Hell times. Oh yes, I totally um, get that. And then, he, through family connections and other things, he he relocated up to the Hudson Valley uh, on the Connecticut side, actually, and was running Troutbeck, which is like a really nice um, resort up in the Hudson Valley. You know, that was his pandemic shift and kind of kept everything going. And then um, I had met him actually through two different uh, contacts where it was like, you know, as I was floundering during the pandemic, trying to figure out my operating team and how I was going to pull this all together because I knew from day one I have no you know that wasn't my of course surround yourself uh, with that the was, yes yeah the team was hire the experts do what you do best and let other people do the rest or what uh-huh. they do best um sure so I knew that all along but during the pandemic there were obviously some very awkward periods in there of trying to find an operator find chefs find People, you know, everyone was just like so confused with what was going on and where everything was headed. And, you know, there was a mass exodus from New York at the time and and the scene. And, and so uh I had met him, Gabe, back in 2020, uh, all via email and calls at first. And then we just kept in touch every couple of months to check in to see how things were going. And and then within the last year, my when I was reaching out to him, it was more like, you know, asking. From a consulting point, if he knew of people locally that would be able to help pull this together for me um, from the kitchen side, and at some point he just was like, "You know what i I do, but I'm also really interested in work." He, you know he he had seen me sort of uh, persevere, and uh, he believed in what we were doing, and what and his re- in the process was in the process of relocating back to Brooklyn, and so he just he wanted to take it on as as you know something that he felt passionate about too. So I got really lucky. Yes. there uh, there great. were a few there were a few things during the pandemic that obviously were uh not you know there was a couple silver linings that I guess you can we can point to um but most of it was not <laughs> great but of this course. was one of them um so it really I mean I can't I, I think the only part I can claim any um part in I'm not a chef I don't make the dishes but it was you know I think what we're trying to do is definitely like push the envelope of what you would expect from uh, like a neighborhood, You know, uh, we we're trying to toe the line between feeling like a very communal neighborhood bar that, but also, you know, uh, we aspire to you know Michelin star food and you know high bar accolades and so we're trying to like how do we approachable and how are we accessible and not snooty about what we're doing but experimental and whatever and he just he just ran with that you know I think we have really interesting dishes, um, uh, you know, vegetable and meat and fish, um, dishes that, you know, what they're cured in or what they're, they're accompanied with and the sauces and everything he's, he's taken the same creative approach that we're doing with, with the drinks and the music and the architecture and doing it with the food. Um, and so I'm it's just all saying, curated okay. and
1: paired together and you've got signature cocktails, obviously. I, you know what I went, I was on your website and I think the foot, the photography is great. I mean, it definitely oh. brings the experience to life and you go through the gallery and the drinks look amazing and the food looks yeah. amazing. Like sure. that is really a a hallmark of a, you know, a restaurant that knows how to brand. It's like, if you can get people feeling like they're in the space, even before they walk in the door and, and the photography and the vibe of the place, and it all comes together. I think that's a huge branding element. I, I think you've nailed it there.
0: That's pretty cool. Yeah. Thank you um we it's pretty it's version 1.0 i thank you for saying that um there's only a few dishes on there and only a few drinks on there and our instagram actually shows a bit more now um but yeah i mean so having worked in design and architecture uh you know i helped with a lot of these campaigns for selling these luxury buildings that Mm -hmm. um you know too and there's a big design team on there there's architecture firms there's interior firms there's there's creative design agencies and it's you know. Again, we go back to lifestyle. All of these things, you know, the logo—like, what's the name of the building? What's the logo for the building? What's the aesthetics? You know, what is the interior design? All of this stuff is tapping into an emotional level of, of you know, trying to get convince these people that they want to buy buy into this prior to you know these things being built. So I've, that that has been reinforced in my career over the past fifteen years. Just how important all of these little seemingly small pieces add up to because at the end of the day that's you know that's what people that's the character of what you're creating right and it's everything from the detail on how the leather bank uh, is strapped to you know it's it's all of that right and it's what people remember the things they touch when they go there and 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 see so
1: yeah and a place Um, can't be overly trendy it's got to be timeless And it's got to capture the guest's imagination. It's got to create this warm, inviting atmosphere with a sort of hipness to it based on the neighborhood. Walk us through as if we've never been in the space. Walk us through the front door. And what do you want guests to notice? And what are the sights and the sounds and the smells? And just what's the
0: vibe? Just describe that for us, if you would. Sure. Um, So. Yeah, when you walk in, I mean, it's it's not a huge space. Uh, it's only about 1,200 square feet. Um, it's got really high, you know, being in, the, we're on the perched on this corner. So the first thing that I think is most notable about our location is we're we're at this intersection, which has become the most Instagrammed corner of all of yeah, Brooklyn. Yeah, that's, that's, and that's like, a terrific location then. Maybe like second or third in all of New York City right now. Um, awesome. But we just, given the the way that the street works there, we're actually a half level up. So you have to go up a little stair or ramp to get to our front door, Um, Mm -hmm. but it provides this perfect perch height above the street. So if you were at eye level of it, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't get the same experience of it because you would just see, uh, you know, that front row of what's happening outside being that, you know, six, seven feet off the off the street height. You know when you sit up and then when you sit up at the corner bar and look out you're kind of like perfectly perched over that whole experience in, in and in a kind of like nice theater sort of way um but anyway so we're on this this corner it's it's an old warehouse building gridded glass windows the whole corner side is huge you know 13 foot ceilings all windows old you know historic windows um and then you know the first move we did when we took over the space would be just sand blasted it all back to its raw concrete because you know when i mentioned earlier this was at the, at the time of its construction the tallest cast concrete building in america um so it has all this beautiful old concrete aggregate you know it's rough um you can see rebar sticking through at points uh you can see when you know now they do all the 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 formwork in and wood and steel and what but the steel work that goes inside but back then you, there's still remnants of these wooden dowels that got hammered into the concrete um as the formwork was being placed and so there's this really beautiful old rich rough sort of just uh concrete base and i love then it was your like, how was we- that yeah, that's yeah cool. we, that was the first thing. Like, let's I get love that. You know, but I even was,
1: thought I saw it on the website. Like there's some photos of rock of concrete, some of
0: these detailing, right? Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, that's what, yeah. That's it, okay. Keep going. It yeah. It's yeah. really cool.
1: It's cool. I yeah, get it's,
0: it. It's really rich and old and, and wouldn't be done the same way today. So obviously exposing that was important. Mm-hmm. And then how yep. do we, so everything was concrete, steel and glass. Um, that's the bones. That's, that's what we started with. And then it was the 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 decisions were how do we soften that how do we make that livable how do we make that you know intimate and so we started experimenting basically with um a lot of curvature at different scales like big moves like a big horseshoe bar that fills the center of the space and uh that that bar is constructed by fluted concrete that Also has a plaster cloud that floats above it. That's the mirror image of it. That's all uh, cast plaster. That's that's all flutes and and big thick bullnose edges. So we just started experimenting with the quarter round as as a design element, just at every different scale um, and sort of playing that off in a formal sense. And then material wise, uh, you know, the the whole thing is materially rich, but with a lot of raw, um, some refined, some some raw just j- raw material so it's mm-hmm. plaster um white oak uh uh the cast concrete the new cast concrete our bar top is B- brazilian basalt which is this really interesting um basalt that uh that when basalt columns grow and, and then volcanic rock hardens it freezes it sort of cures in these like hexo- hexagonal shapes um and it creates this really beautiful pattern of warm and and cool browns and so it was like started to work with a lot of earthy tones and texture and just things that felt earthy and historic and old and and then the palette sort of sort of evolved from that so the colors are pretty muted and earthy so the the gear color colorways so to speak that we use are um our main color is called dead salmon which is uh like a really muted salmon color and so we we have the huge Tadillac wall which is a hand hand troweled moroccan plaster um so it's really beautiful hand movement but it's all done in this very muted salmon color um so dusty rose dead salmon ochre brass you know so it's just playing with a lot of these visceral earth colors and tones and how do we and then formally how do we soften this sort of brutalist concrete steel and glass shell and then all those things just came together and that's what we got. So it still sounds very warm and inviting. It is with those colors
1: and those textures, you know, and, and even though we're talking about, you know, raw concrete and the bones of a building, it's still all, all those elements do sound like they're coming together and make it a really, not just an eclectic space, but a real, yeah. I mean, there's a lot to look around at, right. But you can also look out windows into that corner that you're on and see the traffic
0: and see the, maybe is there a view of the bridges also or any of that you you do get a view down washington street of okay. the manhattan yeah. bridge um so Very you cool you get glimpses of bridges you get the corner bar we have a huge corner bar that lines that takes the whole window and that's meant to be looking out down mm. on the sort of theater sure. and street that's happening just yeah, below yeah. you right but then the at the center of the space though is the huge horseshoe bar right in the middle which is all about community and interaction and looking across your friend and when you're there at night obviously during the day it floods with light in different ways um when you're there at night though the, the mood you know the lighting's down everything's super warm 2700 kelvin you know recessed you know a lot of it's cold lit um we have candles everywhere you know in these sort of amber glass things so it's very intimate at night yeah um, i like that very yep. cozy there's a glow you know, yeah there's a there, warm glow there's definitely that kind of approach going out of bar you know in nightlife you want to be obviously play that mood and it's a place it's a great date night place uh you know a great place to meet Some friends, but you know, we're not. We don't have like the 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 table for twelve. You know, it's not like that kind of thing. So a lot of couples and a lot of people cozying up on the banquet and sitting and seeing. You know, joining. You know, of our fifty-five seats, you know, forty of them are at bar height. Um, So majority of of when you're there, you're sitting at, you know, bar height. You know, and it feels very much like a bar, even though we're trying to be very much a Really great restaurant too. So,
1: so did you hire like uh, really talented bartenders? Do you have a mixologist that came up with the drinks that keeps bringing the flair and the showmanship to that piece of it? Tell us about bar operations and
0: and how that came to be. Yeah. Um, so I did. Um, again, uh, not having a lot of experience in the space, and also, um, you know, being in the getting through the pandemic. You know, I, I met with a lot of people. Um, you know, I was, I took part of the pandemic and was living up in the Adirondacks, which is like six hours North of the city, um, with my two young, you know, I had a newborn and a, and a, and a young daughter and my wife, and we were trying to just figure it all out while we were working remotely. Um, but I was, I would come back and meet with a potential operator or chef partner or front of house or person, you know, someone who had been in the bar scene for a while. Like I would drive five hours here, meet for an hour or two and drive five hours back. And that's just, it was just a lot of that kind of like homing the, 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 the field to see, to see who was out there and, and, and whatnot. So I got fortunate, you know, I, I was able to spend a couple years, not that that was great, um, figuring it all out, but I landed on, um, I, through a series of mutual connections, I had, a I had a guy helping me, uh, who was a friend of a friend, just, Figure out the landscape he introduced me to to my operating partner jeremy kittredge who um that was the first major connection so when being my first bar and restaurant um you know knowing that i needed someone with the experience so it's my first it's jeremy's 41st it oh, just yeah. so happens okay he, there you go so um it's the 41st project and he didn't realize that until after <laughs> it was kind of a joke because it's our address is 41 washington street that's so great it was it was kind of this funny uh forty one was like this underlying thing our bar height we set at forty one, which was like intentionally done to be a little lower than some bar heights because it it just felt more comfortable for dining and all that So forty one was this funny number that kept coming up, but it just so happened to be his forty-first when we when he calculated it after that he had either been a owner of or a consultant on, or whatever. His career is crazy in his own way. And yeah. <laughs> you probably have a very interesting uh future podcast with him, but um, so I, I met, I was able to connect with him and then really, um, you know, through his international and national connections and New York connections, he was trying to bring his whole world closer to home. And I was, you know, trying to build this thing. And, and so met him, he just had a ton of contacts and and really our first two hires were Rob, Robert Struthers, who is our beverage director mm-hmm. and Megan Cassell and she's our GM. Yeah. And he had met, known both of them through previous things he had done. So we kind of were able to cherry pick awesome. uh, through previous relationships. Yeah, and, it's all in network. You know, find, yeah, it's all that. But what's great about him, and what's great about how we did it, was we chose young people who were established and had a, a you know a, a history and experience at, to sort of reach a level of expertise with what they're doing, but were also still young and eager and not and not like someone who has already done 10 years at that level so we were we were kind of elevating both of them from their previous positions up to now beverage director and whatever so we rob had had just so for for the community rob's experience leading up to this was you know working at at all the famous bars and and cocktail lounges in new york nightcap maison premier fresh kills dutch kills you know like kind of you know that was his formative years, and then you know we kind of took him now here and gave him the opportunity to take all of those, that decade of experience, and 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 flex what he wants to do with our program here. And so it was finding young, really eager talent that saw this as an opportunity to again, um, try something different and and push something. I think partly what makes it interesting for me because I haven't done a lot, you know, any of these before it's like, it's all, it's all fair, fair game, right? This whole thing's, you know, I'm not, it's whatever, whatever we want to do here, let's do it and make it different than what's been done before, because I haven't done anything before. So
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that because again, someone with a complete design and architectural background getting into this space, obviously there's a lot of bumps in the road, but you smoothed out your runway by hiring the professional talent that had that expertise. And it sounds like it's a great balance of partnership with everybody yeah. involved, just, you know, having a common vision and moving that vision forward. So despite that, if there weren't too many bumps in the road, did you still find any challenges leading up to your opening? Anything stand out or did it go pretty smooth? Uh, are you
0: talking about like the, the, a uh, despite other than the pandemic. And other the than things. the pandemic. Uh, okay. We to, just opened
1: to... our doors and you mentioned you kind of had yeah, a soft okay. opening, nothing, no big hoopla, no grand opening. And there's a buzz now in the neighborhood and people discovered mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. and they're telling other people and they're bringing it in. Would you say things have been running pretty smooth or were there some challenges along the way, getting staff up to speed, um, delivering true hospitality. I don't know. Just tell us yeah. about those opening um, couple of weeks.
0: I don't, uh, you know, uh, based on the Jeremy, Meg and Rob and the people who have had, you know, experience opening other things and many other things, uh, I've been told that this is the smoothest opening that they've, they've been part of, uh, this is not to say it hasn't been stressful, uh, and, and whatnot, but, uh, there hasn't really, I mean, I think, you know, we've, we've in, in an operation this small, um, No, i think we have 20 some people hired on you know early on twenty fives call it employees from everyone from the dishwasher to the to the line cooks to the to the barbacks to the bartender and you know we've only lost one person um we've only had one person leave since in the last since opening so about three or four months just and it was mostly just for a, a personal reason it wasn't anything that they were just it was too chaotic they had to get out you know okay. so sure it wasn't I mean, a good from fit. what i've heard yeah it wasn't a good fit uh from what i heard that's pretty it uh, is it's remarkable you know, amazing, <laughs> amazing for this industry i mean i think yep. part of it is jeremy has a real belief in um giving people uh the authority to 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 do you know it's not a lot of instruction you know Yeah, putting the right people in place, autonomy, giving them power and control, giving them full transparency to everything, you know, at at least at the management level, they all know everything, what, 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 what we're spending, what we're making, you know, um, they have the power and control to run their own organizations and they've sort of been tasked with, um, this is your department. You, you know, you have excellent, as opposed to, you know, uh, the other, uh, yeah, something that's very, yeah, much-
1: they're not waiting around to tell me what to do. I mean, this sounds like real empowerment in place and that, and that yeah, is a yeah. huge, huge shift between how most operations run where, you know, you got a manager that tells people what to do. I've, I've been talking about this a lot because now we're talking about leadership versus management. We're talking about empowerment versus delegation, giving people responsibility, giving them a sense of ownership and what they're doing, opening up the books, even just sharing information and then giving giving them opportunities to shine and then obviously recognition and rewards fits into that too. So that's creating a company culture. And it sounds
0: like you're, you're well along the way in doing that, even though you've been open a short period of time. Yeah. I mean, I think having run my own business in a different industry for a long time mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it's, it's actually a quite different industry. We've had most of the people that work for me at March have been with me for over 10 years. So it was a very family studio run environment uh, and uh and how it's operated. And so that was one of my bigger fears coming into FMB was just like just knowing how chaotic and how transitional it can be, and people just using this as a stepping stone to other things and not knowing how that was going to play out. Um, because you know, my experience with people who have who I've worked with in the past is much different. But I you know, I think you're right. I think you can create a nice environment, give people uh, you know, good pay and and whatever benefits you can afford and and, and lean on them to, to do what they do best, uh, and have the autonomy to do so. Um, yeah. And then also we try and like, you know, the, the managers have stipends and budgets to explore other bars and restaurants, you know, go out, use this money to see what other people like are doing. We're I actually, that. uh, flying a, uh, our leadership team down to Mexico city this weekend to do a bar takeover. Um, down in 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 mexico um which is a fun excursion you know and something Definitely. that we are fortunate enough to have mm-hmm. been invited to and uh that's that's great and it comes with an expense obviously but sure. it also well it's an investment maybe it's i look at it as an investment <laughs>
1: yeah
0: as investment but it'll be great for us to yeah. sort of meet and colla and and network but it great for the staff to that's going to sort of have a fun sort of experience and and you know, and be able to, you know, be part of that. And so I think it's just really creating that culture that, of course, it's a job and it's work and it's serious, but it's also, especially in this industry, it's, it's, it, if it's not fun, like, why are you doing it? Why do um, it? Yeah, that's yeah, an old mantra I mean, we used to have in our restaurants. It was a big sign. <laughs> if it's not fun, why do it? <laughs> I mean, that was, yeah. that's kind of why I got into it, you know, if you have, if we, sure. you, know, you know, it's just, you know, I'd spent so many years behind a computer and design and and it is fun and it's it's rewarding but like you know i missed uh I, you know the social the social side of just bars and restaurants seems really you know rewarding and seeing all the you know having been lived and worked in this neighborhood for 15 years and now seeing those people that i knew from the street you know now sitting at the bar and shaking right. hands and yeah and, and it's a social you know, environment send, sending out you know just you know treating them well and and seeing them feel happy and talk about how how great it's been for you know the neighborhood and the community and and just yeah and i think post pandemic it you know obviously that wasn't the idea but you know that was sort of part of it to begin with like wanting a return to sort of the human side and the social side and bringing that into what i was doing with my life and my career and then the pandemic happened and no one knew where it was going and and everyone was messed up and and sort of isolated for so long i think it's even more important to be able to, um, you know, be tight in a space and listen to great music and cozy up and and hug each other and laugh and 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 it's all just been it probably amplified because of the the, the shitty sorry, but past yeah, couple no, of years. Cool. All yeah, right. right, I don't know, I don't know who you're listening to. <laughs> no, nope, yeah, really fine, let it fly. Yeah, <laughs> let it fly. All right, well, yeah. So anyway, it's yeah. So I think that's been great to sort of, you know, see and experience and be part of. So
1: Okay, that's cool. So would you say that your marketing centers around just the community, the local buzz, the social media, have you had to do any formal marketing strategy that, you know, to draw new people in to kind of get the word out or is it kind of taken on a life of its own?
0: We, um, uh, we have a great PR team. So, you know, uh, Jeremy um, had through his, 20 plus years, 25 years in the industry, we became friendly with Rachel Harrison. Rachel Harrison Communications is our PR agency. Um, They specialize in bars, restaurants, and spirit companies, and are very tied into uh, what we're doing. And so um, that's obviously been important. I mean, we have uh, gotten the word out, you know, in New York, it's just such a crazy competitive, no scene, you know, no with doubt. all the bars and restaurants, and of course, at, you know, every new week there's like, check out these 10 new best new bars and restaurants in the city. And you're like, this happened. It's Endless ongoing churn of like, you know, we opened three months ago, or two, whatever yeah, months ago. Right. And it's just like, how many new ones have come out since?
1: Hey, rock stars. Let's talk restaurant marketing. I started and ran five high volume restaurants and I was obsessed with marketing. Not the traditional kind where you try this and you try that and you hope for the best. That's like dumping $100 bills out the window, but nobody's coming in the door. I'm talking about marketing that's trackable, where you know exactly where the business is coming from. And, most important, that it delivers far more than every penny you spend. So here's where my friend Dyson comes in. He's a restaurant person, just like you. Owned his own concepts. Now he runs Fan Connect. He's got something called the birthday club that's proven to drive new and repeat business in your door because everybody has a birthday. He does it all for you too, all the heavy lifting. All you have to do is focus on your guests and delivering true hospitality. Why not speak with Dyson yourself? He loves talking shop with operators and there's no obligation, but I'm pretty sure he can boost your business and put more butts in your seats. If I still own restaurants, it's exactly what I'd do. Check it out at fanconnect.com slash birthday rockstar.
0: You know, just trying to like compete with uh or, or stay uh scene in that scene is a bit much. Um we haven't done a whole lot though uh with any advertising sense. I mean social media is gonna be bigger for us moving forward. I mean, I think that's obviously where, where a lot of this happens these days. Um you know, I think we're trying to we're trying to get it. I mean, I think what's important to me with that is be more storytellers uh, of what less less there will be a fair amount of food and drink porn because that's just how, yeah sure you know it's all over now. But like I want the human side to come through the stories the sell. yep stories and and what what it, you know, the marathon uh, half marathon just ran by us the other day and we did a post about congratulating all those people doing all that and you know the backstory you know there's all sorts of crazy community events and things and theater that happens on the street below us and trying to capture some of that and trying to highlight the the, the characters and the people and the, and the lives of who actually make their work you know more than just like you know another i mean again i like it i like seeing it too but i think so social media is part of it um you know we're also Fortunate to be in a very street trafficked area where we get a, a fair amount of exposure, and we're not very big, so like we but don't need to capture location. <laughs>
1: that's great. Yeah,
0: we don't need to capture the world. Yep. Um, we just want to. We we're just trying to find a way to tap into the people who appreciate what we've created and will enjoy coming here. You know what I mean? We're, I do. Um, I mean, I think it's trying to find what's on brand for us, but, you know, trying to retarget those specific people. Cause like I was saying, we only, we're not, we're not a very big spot. So
1: do you um, see Gare and yourself sort of paving the way for other sort of hospitality operations, restaurants, bars, that kind of thing to come into your neighborhood Are spaces available? Will you become a draw where more, you know, businesses will be attracted to the area, which will then become a bigger draw for the public at large. Or do you think you're pretty much going to stay based on, you know, what's there now? versus what could be do you see it developing more into a restaurant bar scene your neighborhood or um i would like
0: for it to um because you you said the
1: developer wasn't really into that whole idea
0: that you know the person that have all that real estate they haven't been and they they do own about seven they own a lot they own the majority of the real estate Mm -hmm. whether it's commercial uh, street commercial office commercial residential they just the the lead developer down here bought most of Dumbo in the 70s 80s uh and and have been slowly uh redeveloping it there yes. there are a lot more people that live here now I'd say in, within the last four four or five years a couple new luxury towers and other new buildings have gone up um so more residents are here which uh leads me to believe that that the need for more uh, hospitality will will be there. Um, you know, Jeremy and I and uh, and Gabe and Meg and Robert talking about doing other projects, whether they're uh, in the neighborhood or close by. um that's definitely an interest of ours as well. Like, you know, taking the sort of core group of who created this and 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 expanding it and you know, right. to next to the next things. I mean, I think it's the obvious. I was going to uh, ask you that next. Yeah. Keep uh, <laughs> I haven't. I mean, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm very interested in it. Um, but at the same time, our, our focus right now is making sure Gare is. Yeah, is, of course. Is right. Um, but there are, there are some other, uh, I, I hope so. I mean, more, more spaces, more places, more faces kind of mentality. I mean, I think what would, you know, different than other neighborhoods in New York, because Dumbo is can be a bit of a uh F and B desert at night, you know, what we're what we're noticing is that, which is something we need to the outre- outreach we need to do is how to tell people that like there's a really cool, fun bar and restaurant in 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 this area at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, which is if you're in the lower east side, the East Village or wherever, mm-hmm. I mean, you're just getting uh, that's when they're flocked. We do we are doing extremely well happy hour and early evening as all these workers are coming home and the resident and the are coming downstairs and the residents are coming home and the tourists are still there. Mm-hmm. We, we don't need to, um, we have, we don't really need to market those hours. It's really just convincing people that Dumbo has a nightlife scene, uh, yeah. or is, or is <laughs> you are the scene, <laughs> the kernel of a, yes, yeah, the beginnings of a nightlife scene. Definitely. Um, yeah. and there's so many, but even that, I mean, within not that far the great thing about new york is there's a lot of neighboring uh, there's a lot of neighborhoods right around us walkable that just you know it's not like we're we're in the middle of a a hard to get to area it's just they, you know they need to know we're open and and here you know and i think it's it's slow it's happening i mean it's early days you know so that's really exciting Um,
1: stuff that's awesome yeah you know, I love these startup stories. You know, I was in in that place so many years ago, a couple decades ago, actually. And you see an opportunity, you see a vision, what could be, and you kind of build something. And you know, you kind of work real hard at it, and you dominate your competition, just deliver true hospitality, give people something really cool to go to. And you guys are certainly mm-hmm. doing that. So, I wish you all the best of success.
0: Um, well, yeah, no, thank you very much. I mean, I think, um, yeah, it's it's i some competition's good healthy competition's good yeah business think, brings more business in in a lot of cases yeah i think we're you know because this is something again where jeremy was at the interesting part of his career you know having done so many different things and trying to find something with meaning and purpose that was local and more close to home cuz like literally he's been involved in projects from south africa to shanghai you know all around the world europe and 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 flying all over and trying to manage uh, a lot of these things to finding something close here in Brooklyn that he felt, you know, had a real purpose, I think. Um, and me, since this was the first thing I'd ever done and really did it because I was a passion project gone awry and, and just became, you know, uh, got, you know, really involved in something. I think it was, you know, pairing those two ends of the spectrum together. Like if it's not, if it's not interesting and meaningful and trying to do something different and it's just a, a money play, I mean, it's just not really what, this is not really why either of us got it into this one. I mean, obviously to make it successful, yeah, sure. you know, the financial side is important, but if it doesn't, if it doesn't try and do something different or create a, a you know, ex, uh, you know, I mean, and, and I guess my background in design that's part of it all too, is like, you're always trying to like, do something unique and different anyway. So yeah, I think, create a lasting was,
1: legacy, something that's got staying power, something that's got a true direction to it. Not just, okay, this is a quick money-making venture. I'm in, I'm out next, you know? Yeah. I mean, longevity yeah. is important. Yeah, that's the I timelessness mean, of, of a concept perhaps too, because so many restaurants and so many bars come and go, and that's not why you're
0: in this. It's like, yeah, you know, no, like, I mean, I used to legacy. live in the I used to live in the east village and you know obviously like you know you go back there every two years you go back you don't even recognize yeah, i remember what used game. to be in that space yeah now it's this yeah and it's, it's been like, 10 different things in the last two years it's bananas so yeah um obviously you know like trying to through the design and the timelessness like you said the location um just where we are in our careers you know we're not we're not 28 year olds anymore 32 you know we're like at a point where we're just um in, investing in 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 projects that are meaningful I think from a personal fulfillment but also for the world you know I think definitely that's yeah I mean I think that's what and if this is the only one you know great we did it I tried it and uh, hopefully there's more um I I've learned a lot I've learned a lot of what what to do and what not to do. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out.
1: That's totally great. I so appreciate you being on the podcast, Kevin. Thanks so much. Sure. Thank you very much. Wish um, you guys again, the best of success and and everything. Yeah. Thank you. We'll come down. We'll have to see you. Yeah. You know, it's been way too long since I've been to the city. You where know? are you? Where are you based? Coast of Maine, just North of Portland,
0: Maine. Oh, so, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, at least I'm we are on the, east we're on the east
1: coast that's right, all right.
0: exactly we we're got, cool all right so well we're close so next hit me up and we'll we'll meet you down here thank you so much that was the restaurant
1: Rockstars podcast thanks so much to our audience for tuning in thanks to our sponsors stay tuned for the next episode can't wait to see you and stay well everyone thanks kevin for being our guest today Man, you walked us through the startup story, the design elements, your background, the neighborhood, and what your future plans are, not only for GEAR, but beyond. Exciting stuff. Thank you so much for inspiring us with your story, and we wish you the best of success at GEAR. People go to restaurants for lots of reasons. For fun, celebration, for family, for lifestyle. What the customer doesn't know is the thousands of details it takes to run a great restaurant this is a high-risk, high-fail business. It's hard to find great staff. Costs are rising and profits are disappearing. It's a treacherous road, and smart operators need a professional guide. I'm Roger. I've started many highly successful, high-profit restaurants that I've now sold for millions of dollars. I'm passionate about helping other owners and managers not just succeed, but knock it out of the park. I created a game changing system and it's filled with everything I've learned in over 20 years running super profitable, super fun restaurants. Everything from creating high profit menu items and cost controls to staff training where your teams serve and sell to marketing hooks, money maximizing tips and efficiencies across your operation. What does this mean to you? More money to invest in your restaurant, to hire a management team, time freedom and peace of mind. You don't just want to run a restaurant. You want to dominate your competition and create a lasting legacy. Join the Academy and I'll show you how it's done.
0: Thanks for listening to To the the Restaurant Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.